it goes right, it's a slice. If it goes left, it's a hook. If it goes straight, it's a miracle. This is Out of Bounds. If it's happening in the world of golf, we're talking about it. Coverage, debate, discussion, pro golf and local golf. Let's do it. This is Out of Bounds. And here are your hosts, Nate Sharman and Josh Derso. Welcome to another episode of the Out of Bounds podcast here on FingerLakes1.com. I'm Nate Charman, joined by Josh Durso as always. And Josh, before we get started, let's just announce that we got a little programming update. Some changes. So we're going to be breaking up the shows here. So we're going to do two shows a week instead of one show a week. We're going to drop one uh, recapping what we saw the week before, the weekend before on Monday. So Monday morning, like we're coming to you now. And then we're going to drop another episode previewing the upcoming uh, week on the PGA Tour and Live Tour, if it warrants, on Wednesdays. So it'll be a little um, broken up. We'll be able to get more in depth on both what happened and what is coming up. So that'll be that'll be nice. Right. Instead of having to wait, you know, 24 plus hours to hear about our thoughts about the Sunday tournament, the weekend tournament, you'll only be about 12 hours, a little more than that. Yep. So without further ado, we'll get into the Players' Championship. Scotty awesome Scheffler weekend. comes out with a win, his sixth win, PGA Tour victory in about one year, Crazy. which is kind of wild. Six PGA Tour victories total and six in the last year or so. He finishes five strokes ahead of Terrell Hatton who had a, a really great finish to come in second place and, and seven strokes clear of Hoagie and Hovland, moved back to number one in the world and claims the huge $4.5 million prize. It's insane. It's absolutely insane. Yeah. And, he you never know, flinched. dominant performance, never, right. yeah, like you said, never flinched, just was yeah. so steady. He starts the day up to, um, with him and Minwoo Lee in the final group, Minwoo birdies one, the stroke, uh, the lead goes down to one, Scotty Scheffler makes par, and then I think they got tied at one point in like the third the third hole. Minwoo ends up making a triple on number four. Yeah. And then and, he, and then that kind of never really gets close after that. He dunks one, Minwoo dunks one in the water, and, and Scheffler then goes and chips in on the really hard par three eighth, goes birdie, 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 and just walks on from there. Yeah, it felt pretty, to me, it felt like it was over after the triple, even though we oh, hadn't yeah. seen the, we hadn't seen the Scheffler run right. yet. Scheffler um, was just par and the death out of the place. Yeah, and that's what he was going to do. And then he they kicked it in the high gear after that. But yeah, um, never was in jeopardy in my opinion. Curious what you thought. Margin of victory? Did it did it take away from the excitement a little bit? For you? Um, yeah, a little bit. You know, I was I was sitting there on on Sunday and I was rooting for Lee. I was rooting for Lee. You know, I, I like to see yeah. a little bit of drama too. So it definitely takes out with not having drama towards the end of that. 18, it's towards the end of that back nine at on Sawgrass too, you know, especially at Sawgrass where there's so much water in those those last few holes. 17, you obviously have the Island Green. 18, one of the hardest holes in golf, in my opinion. Yeah. So he doesn't really have a ton of nerves coming up there. It's really fun to watch guys kind of navigate those last couple holes with with a slim lead. I love even with a five stroke lead though that Scheffler hit the ultimate bailout shot, tee shot on oh, 18. Yeah. Just literally sends it sailing right. It didn't even have a chance of, of There's no reason. catching the fairway. There's no reason it went in the fairway there. Yeah. No reason. Hit one in the pine straw <laughs> yep. and then knock it up by the green and, and you could really well could make five, but he, he made that monster. He made that monster four, par which was which incredible. was awesome. What a way to what a way to end it. I mean, we missed out on some drama, obviously, with it not being as tight coming down the stretch. Yeah. But um, you, you know, when you've got a, a guy like Scheffler right. in the lead, you know, just like when we've seen you know Rom in the lead with a commanding lead this year, mm-hmm. um, 
it's it's still exciting. It still maintains itself. Right. And there's it's no problem to me because we've had so much drama and excitement the last month or so on the PGA Tour and all these events. So it's fun to see a guy like Scheffler go out there and dominate. He's just a lot of fun to watch when he's on. Yeah. And I mean, you want to talk about this run that he's been on. I mean, you mentioned it. Six wins, less than 100 starts. Didn't get his first win until a 65th start. So he's essentially got six wins in about 35-ish starts. I mean, just an incredible, you know, he's the defending Masters champion. He's got the Arnold Palmer last year, two Phoenix Opens. Uh, he's got the players now. Um, he was player of the year last year. Right. I mean, it, almost there's, I think there's a debate to be had now about uh, Scheffler and Rom kind of distancing themselves from, yes. like you were mentioned, you talked about that before we came on here. Um, the two of them basically distancing themselves from the rest of the field in right. terms of, you know, who are the best golfers in the world. These two are clearly the best golfers in the world, and it ain't close. If the Masters was this week, and I, I went up to you and I said, you can have Rom and Scheffler or the field, which one are you taking? Oh, I'd take them. Yeah. I'd take the two of them. Isn't it funny that it used to be Tiger Woods in the field, one guy or the field? Yeah. Back in the day. I mean, now I think Rahm and Scheffler, I, I, I think I'm agreeing with you, with you, Josh, especially with Scheffler winning last year and, you know, Rahm's success at Augusta. You also have to, I think now, because they've, the two of them have combined for either four or five of the last six elevated event wins. Yep. So five, five of six this year, Five right? of six. Uh, so like, the only there one. you go. Like uh, that to me is if you're if you're going to make that that prop bet that you just mentioned right. like I, yeah you, you they're you know their percentage is like over 80 percent yep definitely so, and they're they're yeah. a lot of fun to watch too i really like watching john rom too when he when he's on Scheffler's a little bit more Scheffler's a little bit more subdued you know he doesn't really oh, make so much more subdued. he doesn't make a lot of a lot of noise but there's every once in a while you'll see a fist bump out of him or whatever john rom is always Showing his, showing his emotions, but so they're a little bit different golfers in that sense, but still a lot of fun to watch. It's interesting because I think he emulates more of like a Dustin Johnson in terms of how he plays the game, not yeah. overly emotional, very level. Um, even when he's, you know, that, that final sort of fist bump that you saw in the last hole. I mean, it right. was, you know, I what, just can't get four over that out of 10. The, those feet. I can't believe he, he pretty much moves that plant foot. Which just doesn't make any much sense to me. You know, growing up with golf, you're, you know, you're, whether it's your dad teaching you or, or a family member or, or a teacher, if that, you know, they're holding on to that left foot. They're making sure that left foot stays on the ground at all times. You're not taught ever to let that foot go. And he lets it go about every drive. His feet are moving around. Oh, yeah. Yeah. I mean, and it's cool. You know what? You can, that's a, a great point because, um, and really great role models in terms of, what the golf swing can look like in Rom and right. Scheffler. Rom's got neither of them are textbook golf swings, but damn, they get the job done. Right. That's my favorite part about golf. You know, you watch people play and it's, every golf swing is different. None are the same. Yeah. And at the end of the day, I know it's cliche to say, but they don't ask how they just ask how many. Right. And it doesn't matter how you get the ball in the hole, which is so cool to me. It's golf is such a game that can invite everybody to it, depending on what you have going on in your life, what you can make it work. And, and that's one way to enjoy it. And in its instances with Rom and Scheffler, win a ton of money. <laughs> Absolutely. Um, speaking of Rom, uh, just something quickly to touch on here. Uh, John Rom withdrew. Yes. Due to illness. Yep. Did we ever find out what the actual illness I didn't was? See if, I didn't see if there was one announced. After the illness. first, after the first announcement that he withdrew, which was right after the first round, right? Yep. Um, or maybe before the second round. I know they they played in two all day, uh, Rory and. 
Scheffler played with Rami. Yeah. So he's out. You have to assume that obviously you've got a non uh, non designated event coming up. So he's got a couple weeks off. Right until um, the match play. Well, probably. I'm assuming he'll be back 100%. No announcement to me means that it was probably like a stomach bug or right. you know some kind of like cold or something that he was, was playing just okay, not, not super know. well, but playing okay. Yeah, he was play, certainly playing better than we saw him play last weekend. Which, right. I mean, last weekend he literally looked like a different golfer. But not that first day when he shot seven under. But when that he followed up with a couple 76s, that is yeah. that's the wheels coming off. I want to talk about the 17th hole, the Island Green hole at the players. And I got some stats for you. We had three hole in ones over the weekend, which is just phenomenal. Hayden Buckley, Aaron Ray and Alex Smalley all aced 17th hole. Hayden Buckley did it like within he was the second group there on Thursday. His group. So the sixth golfer to hit on on 17 and made a one. So let me give you a couple stats here from from that hole. So between the years of 2000 and 2016, there were 7,400 tee shots hit at the 17th during the Players' Championship. There were three aces in that span. That's incredible. That's a wild, that is a wild number right there. <laughs> we had 437 shots hit this week and we had three aces. <laughs> Made it all the way around. So out of 7,400 shots in 16 years, uh, there was three aces and this week, 437 tee shots, <laughs> the same number of aces. Which is just which is just wild, and then you go even farther, and you look at fifty-eight balls were in the water, seventy-nine birdies, and you you know you think of a hole being one hundred and thirty-five yards straight, you know, it, not being that intimidating, it could be a spot where you make birdie. Well, it played over par that three point one three scoring average, sixth hardest hole of the week at uh, at TPC Sawgrass. So it's it's crazy what. You know, fans, you know, there's a lot of fan ambiance on that whole oh God, yeah. wind. Yeah. There's there's water. You know, it can really play a factor in people's minds when playing that hole. Well, and we we talked about it. I think we talked about it yesterday afternoon. It's like it amazes me that the issue and I think most amateur golfers would look at that hole and think, oh, my God, left and right. Right. That's the mess. But more times than not, when they're missing, yeah. meaning the the pros, the, the guys that are actually playing this thing for, for a pile of money, length yeah. is the issue. So they're, they're long and they're short or they misjudge. And to me, that just, that just sends clear message that it's wind. There's, there's right. wind that they're having to account for that, you know, if it gusts a little bit, it's wide open right. and five yards literally makes a difference. And I don't have the statistics in front of me, but just from watching the tournament of those 58 golf balls that were in the water, I would say majority of them, if not 90% of them hit the green, you know, they hit land oh, yeah. and they bounce in the water. A lot of times that, that back, that back green, especially with it being so quick and hard, the green, you know, it's hitting the green, it's bouncing huge into the water. You know, some of them are saved by the rough or, or the bunkering around the green. Not much rough though this year. There's not much, but <laughs> yeah, it's just, it's just wild to me that that whole play is so hard. I think players can really look at that hole, you know, they're hitting a wedge yeah. and they put so much spin on the golf ball, but it's just so intimidating. Well, and also like, you know, you mentioned roughly 135 yards. I think that's what it was playing either Thursday or Friday, but then Sunday it was only playing 122. Right. So like, you know, it's, it is a, a very small wedge for these guys. Like yep. they're, you know, hitting a 52 or a 50 degree or maybe even a 56 degree wedge into this thing. And you know, a lot of, a lot of room for error, but challenging golf course, mm -hmm. although scoring wasn't quite as low as we saw. Um, obviously with uh, Scheffler scoring as well as he did. Uh, scoring wasn't as low as it was last weekend for the Bay Hill. Um, but challenging golf course, uh, really thick, rough pace of play was again an issue. Yeah. Um, 
I've harped on this few times this year already mm. um, with rounds being completed the morning after they actually start. What, yeah, what that, do you, what, what are you, what are you thinking after this past weekend um, with another, another series of, you know, another series of issues? Right. So Thursday we weren't able to get the round done. 144 players weren't able to finish on Thursday. Friday, they had to re, you know, refinish the round and then they played a little bit and then they had a weather delay, of course. They had, you know, rain where they had to stop and they ended up just kind of canning the round, which made sense to me. Yeah. And so they went into that and then they were able to make the cut and then after they make the cut, they were able to, you know, yeah. work it a lot better. But playing five to six hour plus rounds and, you know, on Friday I was watching and I think it was Morikawa and a couple different groups too on the second tee. So one hole into your round, he's waiting 15 minutes on the tee box. Yeah. And as I know it's a part, it, number two is part five, so you gotta wait for the green clear. That's why maybe it takes a little bit longer. And I just think you gotta be able to find a way to make that not happen. And you just have to, they have to enforce. Right. They've got it, they've got it. The tour has to prioritize pace of play. Right. Unless they think it's something that's just gonna resolve itself because of the having more elevated events that are smaller fields in the yeah, future. Yeah, no cut events will, they'll fix that for sure. But. You know, it's just, I, I think it goes to this week is a little bit different than other weeks because you have TPC Sawgrass, a, a course that gets a lot of wind, has a ton of water. So there's a lot of strategy and thinking involved in hitting those shots. So I think this week's a little bit different than the previous weeks, but it just goes to show, like you said, like you said, Josh, we got a huge pace of play problem on the PGA Tour. And I think I think the, the random golf watchers, I shouldn't say random, but the not not like us that are playing a ton of golf and, and watching a lot are going to be turned off a little bit by it when they're taking forever to play golf. Casual fans aren't they? are not going to stand for it. Word. They're not going to stand for it. I mean, they're not. Gonna, they're just not going to bother with it. They're going to. Yeah. They're going to see like one player on the same hole for thirty minutes of TV time, and they're going to say, "I'm, I'm out for this. This yeah. is not interesting." Um, you know, and I don't really think it's some that a lot of people will say, "Well, you know, that's why Liv is doing what Liv is doing with shotgun starts and stuff." Like that wouldn't fix this problem. No. You could shotgun start these guys, and it's not going to change the fact that, like, once they're out there, they're playing slowly. I just think the rules need to be better enforced. I don't think the rules that are in place are bad necessarily. They don't need to be fixed. I know they just they just reprimanded them not too long ago, but they need to be enforced. You know, these there needs to be more strict kind of policing with these rules. They just need so yeah. They every group needs somebody out there that's actually holding holding the guys accountable. Because you know the other part of it too is is there's probably a lot of you know. I don't want to put a number on it, but probably like 85 to 90% of the, the guys on the, on the tour would play in four and a half or five hours if, oh, yeah. if it was clear sailing in front of them. Um, but I think even faster, than there's that. probably a, it's a small contingency, right, right? Of, of guys that, you know, we've both worked in the golf business and we've both played, like you get like a couple poorly placed slow groups in the middle of a golf course and it just bungles right the whole thing up. Yeah. Like, it's just, you know, I, that's why the enforcement is the important thing, because, you know, why should guys that are playing quickly be, you know, ridiculed or, you know, right. a part of the problem, be, be like lumped in with a part of the problem when they're not part I, of the problem. I can't remember who it was, but the first group yesterday, they played in about three and a half hours. And there's right, always which, a great story. It seems like it happens every year where a guy goes out by himself because yep. there's usually withdrawal yeah. and he's, and he's running and just trying to break the record and trying to get done so they can get out of there. It's a, it's, it's crack cracks me up. They'll play in like two and a half hours. You know, they, they'll be running in between shots and the caddy's got the huge staff bag on their shoulder and it's they're hilarious. running down the fairway. It's a, it's a great highlight. Um, let's, uh, let's talk a little about Rory. 
he's got some he's got some driver issues. He is not in love with his driver. He had a rough week this yeah. past weekend, obviously. Um, and a couple interesting, or I should say, one really interesting quote. Uh, he said, "Quote: Obviously, I went to that new driver at Riviera, and it's just not. Yeah." He added, "Quote: Look, I wish I could use my driver from last year, but I can't, just because if you use a driver for so long and it starts to get a little too." basically it just won't pass the test end quote so um he's talking about the the new stealth driver so the stealth two driver right and that test that he's referring to uh is the characteristic time which is basically how long the ball stays in contact with the face of the club over time the driver will fatigue and stay in contact with the ball for a longer period of time the tour tests for that periodically right. apparently they were testing at riviera a couple weeks ago they were testing drivers a couple weeks ago so rory is saying he wishes he could go back to his his original stealth driver and that he can't because it'll he's afraid it won't pass this test this characteristic test if it right. gets if it gets tested he doesn't know for sure that it would or wouldn't he just thinks it will now i think there's a couple interesting things you obviously i know you've got some thoughts about this but like you know we're all seeing the forgiveness right commercials on tv now like i feel like it's just been something that a lot of folks in the golf world haven't talked about like taylormade is number one because of their marketing oh my goodness it's incredible not because they have the best equipment like you know i i don't think there's much of a difference between these you know recent generation drivers frankly mm -hmm. that's my my opinion in general is that over the like the last four or five years um having played a number of different drivers from a number of different manufacturers you're not like seeing a huge difference year to year mm -hmm. but marketing can compensate for a lot and uh it's just interesting seeing rory say this because if i'm you know if i'm uh if i'm team tailor-made i want to I don't know. I don't even know what they should do. Like, I don't even know what I would do if I was at that that conference table talking with everybody because it's not just a Rory thing. No, like, it's not. You made you made the note of of Colin, right? And you know, Scotty had previously been playing the older generation driver. I like to me, it just seems really like interesting. I think Tiger also had. Yeah, I think he has the old stealth too. He had the old stealth in the in the bag. I plus. think it comes down to them just not being able to play the stealth too enough yet. You know, it hasn't been out for a ton of time, and they've this the last stealth was very successful. I know you didn't like it, but very successful with the pros. You know, I think Kyle Morkow was a big fan of it. You know, he was talking about how he switched from that stealth two back to the stealth before the tournament, and he had a two way miss going on. Yeah, he just kind of on his miss hits with that stealth two, he wasn't really sure where the ball was going. And um, that's a while to say for a pro because they always, almost always know where the ball's going, especially when they miss hit it. I guess the thing that kind of surprises me about all this is like, and you and I have talked about this before privately, we said like, clearly the clubs that these guys are playing, meaning like Colin, Rory, right. Tiger, they're not the ones we're buying off the shelf. Oh no, we're not even close. How, if you're tailor-made, how have you not found a way to basically like take one of these old stealth heads Right. And stamp the new Stealth 2 stuff on it. Give it to Rory so you don't get here. Because this right. is not like, this isn't something that just bubbled up in the last week. Like this has kind of been the, the ongoing talk now in the tailor-made golf circle for like three or four weeks now, it feels like. 
and I just, it seems like if you're tailor-made, you'd want it, you'd want this corrected. You can't right. have, you can't have Rory, you know, just saying this about the dream, saying he wishes he could go back to his old driver. Right. When he is your, like he is your top guy. The thing with Rory though, too, is we've seen him get, you know, we've seen him get um, animated after press conferences, especially because he's not playing well these last few weeks. You know, we saw him last week's, or he actually, nah, I shouldn't say that. He was really good last week. Um, he was after the round saying, I don't know how anyone thinks this is fun to watch us make bogeys when, yeah. you know, everyone thinks that. So it, it's, he's been interesting in interviews the last couple of weeks, in my opinion. But yeah, if you're team Taylor, man, you gotta, you gotta figure it out. Um, especially with Rory, you know, he's like you said, he's your, he's your top guy. I thought it was really annoying to see people compare what Rory said about the new stealth driver to what Bryson had done with Cobra. Right. Um, just run them through the dirt mm. for weeks and weeks and weeks on end it seemed um i i don't think that's a fair comparison he's basically tried everything under the sun i actually think he's playing a stealth driver at this point um I, at least i yeah, believe I so. at the last live event he had a stealth uh bagged so Not tied down anymore by a sponsor yeah i mean it's just you know there's there's a lot of interesting there are a lot of interesting questions when it comes to equipment and the things guys either do or don't say on tour especially when they're contractually obligated right because you start to ask yourself, well, geez, if he could just pick any driver, will we see him with a new driver mm -hmm. next time around? I don't know. We'll it's see. important to note, though, Scotty Scheffler, what's in the bag? I was looking at it this morning. Stealth 2. Oh, so yeah. it's not yeah. going bad for Scotty. He's he's fine. Yeah. <laughs> and that's the other thing, too, is like one of the one of the arguments that I had seen was, you know, um, Rory just has too much going on. He's having to play commissioner. He's also having to be one of the best three golfers in the world. And right. that is just too much. And this is, you know, a symptom of that and not necessarily the fault of the driver. Right. I just, it's looking around at what the tailor-made guys have in their bag week in and week out though, tells me that it's not just, not just Rory. It's not a Rory It's not problem. just a Rory problem. Right. So anyway, um, tour schedule changes tur schedule changes again McElroy, right? more tur um so let's we've talked a little bit about it last week i'm going to run through quickly the the breakdown of what we're going to be seeing with these limited field events uh, and then Nate i want to hear what you have to think about or to say about this no changes to majors uh the players champ or the 3 FedEx Cup playoff events they will be as they as they have been uh, the eight designated events are locked the Genesis the Palmer Memorial to name a few uh, changes include smaller fields, 70 data players, no cuts. Uh, so in total, there will be 11 events in the 2024 season that don't have a cut. How's qualifying going to work? So it's going to be top 50 in the FedEx Cup standings as of the BMW. So the second playoff event from the prior year, uh, plus the top 10 in FedEx Cup standings for the current year, plus the top five point earners in the most recent non-elevated events top 30 in official world golf ranking and four sponsor exemptions. The tour says it will address the sandwiching uh, that we've seen recently as well with the Honda being uh, put in between two events, the Valspar obviously coming up this weekend, smack dab in between two events. Right. Um, so the goal is going to be to have two to three non-designated events in between designated events to create a little bit of like a qualifying storyline too, which seems like it would be cool. Yeah, I think um, that's the most important part that you said there at the end. Yeah. So like, what are your thoughts on, on the whole, you know, one, getting those changes across the finish line, but what you see in the details of what we know right now. 
I think that last part, you know, being able to create some storylines and get some bigger names um, at these non-designated non events. But I, I also think it's interesting too, is, is getting these names out of the non-designated events can make it so for better storylines for these smaller guys. You know, they don't have to play against John Ron, they don't play against Scotty Scheffler. But still, getting a few of those guys in the in the non-designated events week in and week out is going to be important. You know, having those that name brand there will get people to change the channel and turn it on. But now it looks like I'm going to have to watch 11 uh, no-cut events last year, next year, which I'm not super excited about. Hopefully, I'll learn to uh, like them towards the, towards the next season. I'm sure you will. But that'll fix the pace-to-play issue. We won't If we see uh, no-cut events with 70 to 80 players taking more than a day to complete, then we'll have a really big problem. That's an even bigger problem. But that won't happen. It's interesting because like this feels now to me like a response to the potential of live guys coming back in the future. That's a good point. Yeah. So now they'll have to they'll have to play through a process. It'll take time. Won't be something they'll just be able to jump back when their contract expires. Yeah. Jay Monahan won't have to make a ruling. But are they going to are they they're banned from the PGA Tour, though? So how does that work? No, they would have to. Huge, that's a huge question. That's a know? huge question mark. You know, I, I know that's not what we're talking about exactly, but. If a guy say, just for example's sake, say Brooks Kepka's contract ends this year. Next year he wants back on the PGA tour. Do you let him come back? Some guys say no, some say yes. What's your opinion? I say let him come back in this new system. I think letting them come back in this new system and making them play through non-elevated events. Yeah, but Cam Smith having to come back and play through non-designated events just to be able to play in a tournament like the players that he had previously won would be one of the funniest like full circle moments for this entire saga. Yeah, but Brooks Koepka is going to get a sponsor exemption. Brooks right. Koepka wants oh, yeah. to play, yes. and the sponsors are going to say, okay, you're playing. And would they, though? I would think so. To get Koepka's name at the event, I would I would definitely think so. Yeah, yeah. For, for guys like that are lower, say that are, say, Chase Koepka or Taylor Gooch, that'll be fun to kind of watch those guys that are in that, maybe not that top tier, not your Cam Smith, Brooks Koepka, Dustin Johnson, Patrick Reed, but the next tier. Yeah. That might be, that maybe even be Bryson DeChambeau. You know, have those guys having to play through those events. Now that would be good television. It would be. And it would add, you know, it's kind of like a win-win for the, the PGA Tour because you get these, you know, these names that don't necessarily have as much firepower right. present day in these lower level events. Right. And it, I think it's just interesting because the fact that there's so, there are a lot fewer points available at yes. these quote-unquote play-in events and to watch um you know the bryson uh, the bryson's or the brooks or whoever all these guys who say what you want they decided to go f for specific reasons right and often it was about growing the game to watch them to have to come back grow the game and truly grow the game and grow this this new thing that the pga tour built and could have, they could have been a part of, you know. Right. I know there are guys on tour who just would rather see, you know, Matt Fitzpatrick is a perfect example. He said, just they, they shouldn't be allowed back, period. And that's a, that's a fair argument in my opinion. I don't think the tour is going to, my only thing, my only reservation with that is I don't think the tour is going to like stand up and do it. No, because it's, a, it's an absolute PR nightmare for any of the guys in the live for live if they come back and plus like well so not that's only something that the game for the pga tour is exactly if the lift has win. to go through a pr like, nightmare that first and i think like the first just like when we saw you know guys leaving for live the first one to leave is like the the biggest deal 
Right. The first one to come back is the biggest, the biggest deal. deal. Yes. Like if Brooks Kapka and Brooks honestly seems like the kind of player. Yes, he does. He would, fits the mold in my opinion. Like he fits the mold of a guy who would defect back after because he can still win on the PGA Tour in my mind. If he's healthy, you he can def- most definitely win on PGA Tour. Cam Smith could literally come back and make an argument, like reinsert himself into that top three oh, yeah, for sure. debate the second he came back. Right. And I want to reiterate that we don't know whose live contracts are ending. Yeah, no clue. We've heard we've heard rumors that some are ending, and you know that's just me and Josh speculating on, on letting guys back. We, we still have no idea about that, but it's fun to talk about. Yeah, I mean, I think it, my, my only thing with that now is I... Th- it feels like it's just a matter of time. It does. Like, eventually, there is going to be someone who is on the live circuit. And maybe it's not a top, top tier name, but maybe it is. Someone's going to get a phone. And call. they're going to want to come back. And the tour, I, I think now the tour has, like, the infrastructure in place. They can they can point to the system and they can say, okay, well, you have a path to return. If you want to return, return. Right. Do Do you? Yeah, I agree. I agree 100%. It's going to be interesting to see, especially if we see it next year, too, if if guys' contracts do finish, where they'll go. Yeah. And uh, our last topic of the day, this one. This one kind of really grinded my gears. The World Golf Hall of Fame elected its newest round of members in Jim Furyk. 17-time winner Jim Furyk didn't make it. Padraig Harrington was the big headliner to come out of uh, this year's crop. The expectation is that he'll have future opportunities to get in, uh, but that won't come until 2025. Um, Jim Furyk has such an impressive career. 17 wins, obviously. 2003 U.S. Open, 2010 FedEx Cup, uh, and nine Ryder Cup appearances. Uh, he obviously did the right PR thing. He said he respects the process, but was a little disappointed. And Nate, you mentioned before we came Mr. on. 59. 59. Yeah. This guy was like, if you talk about golf, especially during the Tiger era, Jim Furyk was one of the most recognizable names in American golf. Right. Between the years, say, like 1998 and 2014. Right. And especially his golf swing, too. For him. More recognizable. Yeah. For him to not being included in the World Golf Hall of Fame. Yeah. Just feels... I mean, it feels it feels like an abomination. He'll frankly. get into the next round. Don't worry. You know, that's you can't have the golf hall of fame without him, without Jim Furyk. Like I you mentioned, so. the stats say for themselves uh, about how incredible he is and, and what he did for golf. So, uh, but I think in twenty twenty five, we'll have another shot. I would expect him to to get in then. Patrick Harrington, no slouch though. It's, it's good to see him get in too, though. Yeah, definitely, definitely no slouch. I just think it's interesting because like seventeen wins. Like there aren't that many golfers who have north of 15 wins and that's, you know, just doesn't feel right. doesn't feel right. Get him in there. Come on. I, I agree, Josh. I agree. So yeah, like we said at the top of the podcast, we'll have another episode coming out on Wednesday. That'll preview the Valspar championship at Copperhead. Talk about our picks and stuff. So look, look for that on Wednesday morning on Spotify and as well as YouTube and other podcasting platforms. So we'll be back on Wednesday. Talk about that. For more information to follow the Out of Bounds podcast, you can follow us on TikTok and Twitter. We're, we're pretty active. And remember, whether it's down the middle or out of bounds, keep on swinging. You've been listening to Out of Bounds. If it's coverage, debate, or discussion of pro and local golf, we'll be talking about it. Be sure to visit the website at fingerlakes1.com. Find us on TikTok, Instagram, and Twitter at Out of Bounds FL1. 
We'll see you next time on Out of Bounds. 